0: In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. The board sure a show come from Science Robotics Journal. I really find science robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles, where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks, Science Robotics, for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. But maybe I want to ask you for going to the, the story of the paper of Flesh Robotics. Uh, flush robot here for the sensor multi-sensor design here. Maybe I want to ask you in the beginning what maybe challenging in sensor design for soft robotics so far. If you have overall picture, limitation, challenges for sensor design. Yeah,
1: well, I I think the challenge is um, hyper redundant amounts of tactile information. Um, this is what nature has. Lot. Uh, thousands and thousands of mechanoreceptors that our brain uses to interpret the world uh, from touch. And if we were to try to do that artificially, it's not clear how we would manage to wire the system, how we would manage to have information transferred to and from these sensors, or just from these sensors, depending on what it is, um, with and have all the wiring necessary to do that. So to us, the biggest challenge was actually something quite pragmatic, which is how do you wire all of these sensors and read that
0: information? Mm -hmm. And this paper, can you tell us about the design? Because I think what's interesting about soft sensor now, and I think in some of the paper that you have the multi-layered architecture, and can you tell us why choose a design? For example, when we see papers speak about metrics or, complex architecture. What does it mean for you when you try to, beside the material and the architecture, how do you see both of them in the design space here? Mm.
1: Um, yeah, okay. So I think, so the, so how, when we're talking about soft systems, how do we get soft and whether it's architected or on the materials basis? And um, I think when you have something quite complicated, a uh, complicated shape, um. That has to be dynamic and, and move around, um, and maintain the same level of softness. Then it's easier to design a system out of a low elastic modulus material. If you have something that is quite simple in structure and uh, doesn't and and can modulate its mechanical properties during deformation, then I think an architect material makes um, sense there, um, and. Yeah, and so, um, so okay, so again, uh, the uh, low elastic modulus material uh, makes sense when you don't have uh, all the details necessary to plan out how it's going to be soft while being in a complex shape and while it's moving. Um, but there's a lot of benefits of architected materials where you can have a high elastic modulus um, intrinsic material property. But have it behave as soft as it's architected. Um, it becomes a little bit more difficult to do that when the shape has to be complicated um, and it has to maintain a certain uh, mechanical properties while it's being dynamic. But the advantages of architected material, if you can, if you have something like that, is uh, one is that you can have a very low um, viscous losses, um, which can uh, you know benefit energy efficiency. And, can um, aid in um, uh, if you efficient locomotive efficiency um, it would be easier to get resonant structures that way Um, on the other hand sometimes you want dissipative um, properties and uh, our skin in many ways it benefits from dissipating stress so it'll input stress and it'll be spread out over a larger area and that information will get put into the deformation of these mechanoreceptors, um, and, and we want we want to be able to have soft stops. Um, so depend, really depends. I think architecting materials are a great choice where the where the shape is complex where the shape is sort of simple. Um, the mechanical properties uh, aren't going to be that dynamic, and you want um, uh, resonant structures. And if you want something that is soft, no matter what dynamism is going on and no matter what shape it is and dissipation of energy is a benefit, then you would want a, um, intrinsically soft material.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Maybe a quick question here. If there is limitation for choosing the material in this paper. are some elastic, uh, choosing, but do you think in general when you try to choose the material as a sensor here with the architecture, if there is any design consideration when it comes to choose a material with certain architecture.
1: Yeah, in this case, we wanted it to um, be a skin. We wanted to be able to envelop or wrap it around any robot. And without knowing a priori the shape of the robot is going to be wrapped around, um, making it a sheet uh, made the most sense, and then making it out of a soft material then also followed from that. Um, And we could have perhaps embedded... uh, uh, non-soft fiber optics inside of it. And we have some papers doing that from a few years ago. Uh, the problem with that is is when one thing can stretch a lot and the other thing can't, you start to have um, uh, interface issues um, and dynamic uh, mechanical property issues. And so um, we chose to make everything soft just to make our lives more simple.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, about the stimulus, because in the paper, it's multi-modality sensor, and I think it's quite challenging if you have, for example, temperature sensor, strain sensor. And if you could tell us about the main challenge in soft robotics to design the multi-modality sensor in one structure, because it's still a challenge. And if you could tell them how you, with a team, did that design for multi-modality sensing here.
1: Well, Jose Barreros, the first author of the paper, um, came up with the idea of using thermochromic dyes to change color um, with temperature so that we can add the ability to sense temperature to, or to, the, um, uh, to, the, to the sensor. So it can sense strain, t- class of deformation, as well as uh, temperature because the thermochromic dye. So it is truly multimodal. And this, this uh, helps us, this encoding of multiple bits of information Different types of information inside of um, the fiber optic is the main reason we did this paper because it reduces the amount of wiring necessary um, to gather information in two ways. The one we've talked about the temperature, the class of deformation, and the type of deformation, as well as the location of deformation. And the other part is to is the um, is the ability for one piece of skin to give information to multiple different fibers. Because as we're pressing on it, it is deforming not just here, but that skin is spreading that deformation more globally and it's affecting more fibers. So that's how we're able to encode so much information in in relatively little um, uh, wires, uh, fiber optic wires.
0: Mm -hmm. But coming in about the complexity, because I think that's uh, the part fusing machine learning to read the signals and understanding. The complexity you mean here about the the models, for example, what's actually happening here? And also you can tell us from the limitation side because it's it's there's certainly limitation, but when you try to understand what's happening in this complex architecture, do you think it's important? Because in the paper you you mentioned it's it's quite complex to, to deal with yeah when it's comes to complex structure or architecture here.
1: Oh, well, the skin itself is, um, <clears throat> is a multi-layer fabrication process, but it's not a difficult one. Um, we randomly orient uh, fibers, uh, fiber optics, inside of a um, frame. We'll just talk about the um, final demonstration, which was an endoskeleton um, with a soft skin around it. And what it has is a sheath that guides light through the whole subdermal layer and then sends that light back down through fiber optics on the inside of that endoskeleton onto a CMOS camera. And that in itself is actually not that difficult to make. So one of the benefits of our um, system is the simplicity for, um, for making these very uh, useful multimodal sensing skins that can envelop large regions. Uh, after that, I would say we didn't really um, Innovate much on uh, machine learning or the algorithms for interpreting this information, um, we would just choose the most efficient um, statistical learning method uh, and prediction method for each thing we were doing, whether it's temperature or location or amount of deformation to me the the, the, the paper is is um, and really we, we need many many more training sets to um, to uh, release this broadly, we chose a focused amount of training sets, So, you know, limited number of locations, limited number of touch points. Um, the main contribution is the uh, manufacturing um, of the skin itself and the interpretation of uh, multiple um, uh, sensory inputs uh, simultaneously encoded in in light. Said also, Jose understands the machine learning part way more than me. So. <laughs> That's probably why I think the manufacturing is a more interesting part.
0: maybe I want to ask you, Robert, about the because in the paper also mentioned the cut and how the force sensitivity maybe till twenty three percent is not affected so much if, if there's cut happening on the on the sensor. And I want to ask you how you ensure that if there's failure happening or damage, for example, in the sensor, still you get reliable data. Or, I don't know, how do you see that in terms of maybe toughness as well, if you have the design of the architected material to have achieve certain toughness beside the sensing, because I think it's interesting part here that you still have the sensitivity not dropped, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so uh, we, we in- intentionally cut the skin um, so, to do two things. One, to um, determine if there is a characteristic signal that we could say a cut happened. And uh, we were we had very accurate detection of cuts. There's uh, through the multitude of uh, optical fibers onto the CMOS chip and then the rates of change of the light signals, and the amount of light change. Uh, we we were able to classify, I believe, better than 99% that a cut was detected, um, with 99% accuracy. And then after the cut was detected, since we could say this is a cut, we could then update the the um, the algorithm to know that the uh, light should be attenuated in that region a little bit more. Um, so after the cut happened, I believe the intensity dropped thirty percent for the kind of blade and the type of cut we gave it. Um, so if we were to implement this in the field, uh, we would we would just update. The computer to know that that location is now going to send is now going to transmit light at seventy percent of the intensity it previously did, and this is uh, very useful. We think so. Our hope, my lab is trying to do two things with robots: we're trying to improve their agility while also improving their endurance. And if their endurance does increase to the you know levels of months without uh, months operating in the field, um, that I'm hoping. Uh, then they will accumulate damage. And if they accumulate damage, they can't just stop. They have to continue to work with this damage. Um, if this, if we get damage in the field, uh, we will put a bandage on and we'll keep going. Or if we break a bone, we'll reset it or something, but we don't just stop and die. So our robots also have to have the ability to um, stop, heal, and then keep going. Um, and I think the two things that were great about what um, Jose showed, is that we could determine when a cut happened um, and then continue sensing in that region with a known level of decreased um, sensitivity.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's a point, maybe a quick question here about designing the softer material and tough as well and the sensory. In general, do you think about uh, what other architecture do you think in the material that can achieve maintain softness and increase toughness and still have higher sensitivity uh, for sensor measurement here. Do you think we have um, methodology how to achieve both of them, maintain softness and increase toughness and even if there is damage happening here, you still maintain the toughness and the sensitivity?
1: Well, the uh, toughness is just the integral of the stress-strain curve. So if you want to increase the softness while increasing the toughness, that means lowering the slope of that stress-strain curve. And um, and so that just, that simply means, and that means the stress has, this ultimate stress should be lower, um, so the strain needs to be longer. So to increase the toughness while being softer, you have to make the material stretch for longer and longer distances. Um, so that's that's the simple answer to that. And we're lucky in that. Um, there's a variety of synthetic elastomers that um, allow us to choose that. People in soft robotics are routinely using um, elastomers that strain to 700 800%, which is way more than they actually have to for most of the applications we're using soft robotics for. Um, and I think you had another part to that question, but I can't remember what it was.
0: Yeah, it was about sensitivity because... It's not dropping significantly after damage. I think that's the interesting part that's.: we Well, that still yes maintain. that's
1: a great point. That, and, and that happens because um, the material is so soft that after a crack occurs, it will, it will touch it, it'll conform to itself again. It's not chemically self-healing, but it is perfectly um, coming sealing again. so the, the there's very few places for light to scatter. After that happens, um, on the surface, there might be a misalignment at the edges um, but in the center it's probably we haven't looked at it in detail, but it's probably perfectly coated so that the edges will be what explains the thirty percent drop in um, transmitted intensity mm-hmm,
0: great Did I will ask you if you have. And especially in sensor designs of robotics, do you think there's something you disagree with when you look to certain approaches or design? You think, well, this is not be the right thing, or you don't agree about the approaches of the design of the sensor? If you can make an example, yeah.
1: Well, I think um, generally, roboticists try to use vision for everything. Um, and I think it's the community of soft robotics that is really pushing tactile sensation as, um, an important part of robotics. And, uh, you know, of course, if you look at all of nature, um, at least for sure mammals, even insects have cuticles, tactile perception is extremely important. Um, so, you know, we need to, as a robotics community, um, really embrace tactile perception. Um, and then what or what a person who doesn't think we need to do that will say is that well you know our environment is uh engineered it's flat it's known um we really don't need to feel the environment we can see and perceive most of it and you know and that's that's true until somebody puts a banana peel on the ground or something that wasn't there in your initial planning So I think, and then for me, where I'm looking at um, far field missions, where again, I want agility and endurance, then there isn't a planned environment, it isn't structured, and that rock could be unstable. Um, So you have to be able to feel the environment. So touch is extremely important. And out of touch sensors, I think we do have to think about how we wire them, uh, how we're going to uh, have these uh, thousands, If we do need thousands of touch sensors, I think we do, but if we need these thousands of touch sensors across the, the body's meter squared surface area, how do we wire it? Um, because wiring has always been a challenge in robotics.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Maybe I want to again about fabrication, because you mentioned the main contribution here, fabrication when it comes to soft robotics, especially, it's multi-layer here in this paper and multi-material. Sometimes this kind of reducibility in the fabrication, and I don't know what your take about fabrication and maybe in soft robotics so far.
1: Yeah, I think it's um, the the soft robotics. A lot of people think it's a valuable um, engineering discipline because uh, it'll produce low cost robots. But I disagree with that. I don't think that is the um, value in soft robots. And also there's no, I don't know what application has been proven where we need super cheap um, robots, you know, in tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in number. Um, so the, the idea of simplicity in manufacturing, um, I don't think is all that important all that important but what is what is important is reliability in manufacturing and so whether you're making a hundred thousand or one you want them to all behave the same and there are so many uh, uh, casting um, injection molding rotational casting processes for processing soft materials that result in micron level differences in the product in the produced structures um, an actuator, so the balloon is an actuator, that it makes sense that um, you can start making robots in entirely new ways. And in our case, we used casting processes um, in, con- in conjunction with 3D printing, which is also a great, you know, 3D printing um, can print rubber now. It can print hard plastics and, and everything like that. It's much harder to print metals uh, and ceramics than it is plastics and rubbers. So that's another reason soft robotics is a, is a good field to be in now
0: hmm Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Maybe I want to ask you about there's something more surprising in the results when you I don't know something was counterintuitive or doesn't make sense. Maybe you couldn't be buying why is this happening. Do you have this moment before the final decisions paper? Some result was just doesn't make sense or you can't explain why why is this result or do you have any something you can share here?
1: Yeah, um the thermochromic dyes, they, um, they are almost a discrete transition in color upon temperature change. So what we did is multiple layers, several different thermochromic dyes, and their changes. Um, so how do, you, how do you measure a temperature change to the accuracy we did when you have these discrete color changes rather than these long tail gradients? Um, and uh, it was a surprise to me that it worked. And um, you know, remember this was Jose's idea for the thermochromic stuff. I did not come up with that. And um, sort of thought it wasn't going to work because of this, just these, you know, these um, discrete changes in color. But he showed high accuracy temperature readings within within a certain uh, band, and. Um, It's because he used many different thermochromic dye layers and their transitions happened just the way he trained the model. Um, It worked, you know, for for temperatures that are relevant to humans, um, he would have to retrain it for another band relevant to, you know, what the robot is actually going to do. But since we don't know what that is yet, we just trained it for human scale temperature ranges. Other than that, there wasn't really that many surprises.
0: Okay, great. Maybe a few questions left uh, I would like to ask you about. What maybe other things you wish to add to the research line of here and flash probability sensor here? I mean, like the multi-layer. Do you think what could be other architecture design? I don't know. Just what other things you wish to add or change maybe in the design next uh, Maybe the next phase of the of this research.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to add chemical self healing. So I liked that you know it's self sealed and could transmit some light. Uh, but then if that skin was to be pushed or twisted or pulled, that hole would open up again. So um, chemical self healing, um, so that it can covalently bond and still transmit light. Um, that would be very. That would be really great. Um, we may have a paper coming out on that pretty soon. Um, and then also actual applications of this, putting this onto things, personal assistive robots that um, don't harm people or more intimately contact them to help them with better, with, um, you know, things like getting dressed in the morning. Um, I think that it's, it's, there's so many, and I, I've done, you know, I've done this too. There's so many papers on, here's this, here's that, you know, and then, but n- not as many moving it up into actual applications and i think that the the field is mature enough now that we can um start to you know do that and many people have certainly would be the first but i feel the motivation
0: from other people who
1: are actually showing exoskeletons and all this other stuff um that we should we should demonstrate real utility of our systems too
0: Mm So I think uh, maybe a few questions left. Uh, the first thing about do you think maybe other things you would like to share about besides this multi-layered sensor here? Maybe in soft robotics should be addressed. Um, yeah, in the discussion like something we have to push for like here fabrication technique for multi-layer. What other things do you think? Yeah, we need to focus here more in this direction maybe. better? yeah.
1: I think we need to embrace complex systems. Um, you know to make to make robots uh, operate for longer duration with higher degrees of freedom and more dexterity, I think we have to have more complicated uh, fabrication and assembly techniques than exist now. But I think that's possible because 3D printing allows it. So I think um, soft robotics and 3D printing go hand in hand. I think machine learning and the um, and the continuum deformation responses of these um robots go hand-in-hand hand or tentacle-in-tentacle, tentacle. Um, and, and, and the, uh, it, but, you know, so, the, yeah, so I think additive manufacturing, soft robotics, um, machine learning uh, will be great partners in making uh, enduring and adaptive robots, uh, but the cost will be an increased complexity in design.
0: Great. So I don't know if you have any final words like to say here, uh, Robert, maybe for the paper or just in general, final words like to say? Uh,
1: Just, you know, uh, Jose Barreros and Artemis Hsu, uh, first and second authors in the paper, were um, just brilliant. And the paper wouldn't have gotten done anywhere nearly as well as without them. Um, And then also, you know, you've been doing these interviews for years now and I just, you're... Your passion and questions just are like amazing every time so <laughs> you, you really care you, you really care about the answers it's great